Good morning. It's great to see you here today. It's my honor to welcome you here to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. My name is Kevin. If you're visiting with us, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and as our guest today, we will hope, hopefully make you feel welcomed already, uh, but we want to encourage you to make yourself at home. And at the conclusion of the service, we would encourage you to see one of our staff. If you have questions, stop by our guest table as you leave in the uh, lobby out there. We have a guest bag we'd love to put in your hands. We also encourage you to fill out the care card. It's in your bulletin. You can fill that out, tear it out and drop that in the offering plate or give it to one of us. We would love to have a record of your visit. And this is something that we don't always say, and some of you as church members may not even know this. We have restrooms right out that door if you need them. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, that's important to know. But we are glad that you're here, and we're going to ask everyone to stand. And as we prepare to worship, just take a minute, just bow your heads for a second. I want to pray for us as we begin. And just take a minute to be still and say, God, speak to me today. Ask the Lord to speak to you to meet you where you're at. And for some of you to even pray that may seem weird, but I believe God wants to meet with you today. God, we thank you that we have the incredible privilege and freedom to meet in this facility and to call on your name. And Lord, we rest in the promise that you are with us 
and we are worshiping you, that you hear us, you see us, and Lord, you know our deepest need in this place. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would move and meet us where we're at for your honor and for your glory. May we tra be transformed because we've met in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's remain standing and worship.
He is altogether lovely. Well, good morning. I hope you're well. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I want to remember a few folks this morning. I want to remember Del Reese's family. Her services were yesterday. We want to remember Shelly and Chad and Hope and Logan, their family. I want to pray for them. And also pray for Shirley Lambert. She's recovering from surgery. And uh, be with her, pray for her, and she's recovering. She's going to be in a hospital for a few weeks. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. I want to read uh, a verse to you. It's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Amen. All that does. Salvation belongs to him. All honor this morning belongs to him. All glory belongs to him. And all power belongs to him. Let's worship him this morning. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, thank you that you're a God who has all power. And Lord, your salvation is for us and it's free. But Lord, it come at a great price. And Lord, you give yourself that we might know you. Lord, thank you for salvation this morning. Thank you, Lord, for hope, the hope that we have. All glory and all honor belongs to you this morning. We come here for one purpose, that's to worship you. Lord, help us to do no less. Father, forgive us of our sins where we failed you. Father, forgive us of our thoughts and the things that we've done and actions. And Lord, that we might find mercy and grace at the, at, before you. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for who you are. Lord, we want to thank you for your presence this morning. And Father, we pray for Lord uh, Dale Reese's family. I pray you'd discomfort them throughout the weeks and the days to come. And Lord, I want to pray that you'd continue to be with Shirley as she's recovering. And Father, this morning, as we come before you, we want to pray that you'd help our, our hearts to be right. That Lord, that we would worship you, we, that we would shout hallelujah because all honor belongs to you. All glory belongs to you. Help us to give you that this morning. Help us to worship you in our hearts this morning. And Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for Jesus this morning. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
And thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. As we've been looking at the life of David, <clears throat> today we're going to focus on Saul. Last week we saw David uh, fighting with the Philistines, then he comes home, the Philistines won't let him fight with him, he's on the run from Saul, and he comes back to Ziklag, and the house is burnt down, he loses his wife and children, then David repents in dust and ashes, and then David calls upon the Lord, and then David recovers all. It's amazing what repentance can do in your life. It's amazing how God, in his grace and mercy, will forgive if we ask. Saul never does that. Today we're going to see the tragedy of a man dying lost. Notice what verse 1 says. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And remember this, God told Saul and God told David, as long as you place your faith and trust in me, right? As long as you trust in me to fight your battles, you'll never lose. Saul lost battle after battle after battle. And today's battle is so tragic. Notice, now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan. Isn't that sad? Jonathan was such a faithful person. Jonathan was, this is the, this is the position Jonathan was in. He loved the Lord. He loved David. Gave up his kingship to David, right, in front of the army. And he loved his dad. So sad. And he's beside his dad in battle. Jonathan did nothing wrong. Sometimes the, the tragic part of serving the Lord is this is God's will for his life, to die with his dad in battle. And then we see his other brothers. <clears throat> Here, Abinadab and Malchashua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. And they did, by the way, really bad. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell on his sword also and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together the same day. The tragedy of a lost life. So sad. That Saul was the leader of Israel, and he was the leader of his home, and they all died on the battlefield without God, rejected by God. Then verse 7 says, And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw the men of Israel, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt, dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, which is very normal in battle that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut, his, cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. You know what they're saying? They're sharing the good news of their God. Our God is greater than Saul's God. It's so sad. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Asherah. And by the way, uh, archaeologists have found what they think is this temple. And they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. Do you realize that this is still remembered in Israel to this day, what these men did? And the reason these men risked their lives for a person like Saul is that in 1 Samuel 11, Saul saved Jabesh Gilead, and 40 years later they don't forget it. In 2 Samuel, David talks to these people and says, what you have done today, or that day for the, for the family of Saul will never be forgotten, and it's not been forgotten. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. 
their bodies there. And then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. We're going to see the tragedy of a man dying lost. We're going to see the fact that Saul never repented. We're also going to see the fact that Saul reaped what he sowed. The Bible says this, you're going to sow either good or bad. Those are your choices. And then we're going to see at the very end that your funeral does not change your eternal destiny. They can fold flags. They can, they can sing the hallelujah chorus. None of that changes that person in the box, right? Your eternal destiny is set. Dying lost. I wonder today before, before I pray, how many saws are in this room? How many Sundays have you sat here, Sunday after Sunday, and you've never repented? And you never repented. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't be like Saul. Don't be like Saul. You're walking on the edge of eternity today. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, I pray that today would be your day of salvation. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord. Your word says that these things in the Old Testament are written for us to learn from. And Father, we've seen the life of Saul, how God, you, the people chose him, you anointed him, and how he started out so great. But little by little, compromise after compromise, he literally... Moved, removed you from his life and lived for his own glory and his own passions and he died a lost man and sadly his sons had to follow in his footsteps and Lord they all died together everything around Saul died and father the tragedy is also that Saul is in hell now David is, is basking in the glories of heaven two men who made two choices that changed their lives forever Father, I pray that there would be men, women, boys, and girls today who would choose Christ, who would repent. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The tragedy of dying lost. I pray that no one in here this morning will do that. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you're doing. We love you today. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Of all the lessons learned from Saul, his disobedience, his envy, uh, his jealousy, his fake repentance over and over again, his fake crying. <laughs> this one's by far the most important of all. Dying loss. Listen to this. Without God. What, what does that mean? That means that you pay your own punishment for the wrath of God. You stand in front of God in your own righteousness and you'll always lose that one. Saul put off God. It cost him. He disobeyed. He never repented. He died in that state. Sadly, though, Saul was a military leader. He was a warrior. He was a Jew of Jews. But he was unprepared to die. Charles Stanley, before he retired from First Baptist Atlanta, said this, Make plans for your death. The most important decision in life is the one with the most impact, and that's your eternity. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Four things from the life of Saul today. The first thing is this, Saul dies a lost man's death. Notice the verse on the screen. Saul watches his army fall apart, then his sons die right before his eyes, sadly including Jonathan. And I'll say this, parents, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, your children will suffer for your mistakes. Sometimes. Your children, if they're, if they're adults, then they make their own decisions. But sadly, Saul, as the leader, took his, took his children in this battle. If you read 1 Samuel 28, instead of, instead of uh, looking to God, Saul goes to a witch, the witch of Endor. And he says, conjure me up somebody from the dead. Okay? Conjure me up somebody from the dead. And I'll tell you this, even people today try to do that. Dead people know the future just about like live people do. They don't. And guess who God sends this woman? Samuel. Samuel comes up and the witch is scared because she probably was scared that anybody showed up. 
because everybody knew how fake it was. And then Samuel looks at Saul and shares the very judgment he shared with Saul back in 1 Samuel 13 and 16. You're going into battle tomorrow. You're going to die and your sons are going to die. And you know what Saul does? Instead of repenting, he just cries and said, I'm not going to eat. The tragedy of a lost man. Notice what Saul tells David. Behold, I have played the fool. I have played the fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What that means is this. A fool will live his life, even though he knows there's a God, like there's no God at all. And that was Saul. The tragedy of dying lost. Think about this. The contrast between David and Saul and 1 Samuel 30. And they think these 1 Samuel 30 and 1 Samuel 31 happened on the same day. While David repented in the ashes of Ziklag and strengthened himself in the Lord, as we saw last week, Saul stood in his own strength against the Philistines. We don't see Saul crying on God at all in 1 Samuel 31. While David consulted the Lord through the, through the ephod of Abiathar the priest, Saul consulted a witch at Endor. And also, think about this, Saul tried to speak to God through the ephod, which was, they would take these stones and they would drop them, okay? And if God said, this stone dropped, it meant God said yes. If this stone dropped, it meant God said no. And then whenever Saul prayed, they both dropped, which means God's not speaking to you. Another chance for Saul to repent, and he does not repent. God was not speaking to Saul at all. David, whenever he repented in dust and ashes, God spoke to him. While David consulted the Lord through the ephod of Abiathar the priest, Saul consulted the witch at Endor. While David pursued the Amalekites, rescuing his family and restoring his faith, faith Saul went down in defeat to the Philistines, losing his family, his kingdom, and his life. And in this vulnerable moment, Saul uttered what they should have put on his tombstone if he had one. Behold, I have played the fool. It cost him his children. Listen, men, the Bible says this. The righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Notice verse 3. This is the death of a wicked man, of a lost man. The archers hit him. Think about this. The Latin Vulgate reads this. He was wounded in the abdomen. It was a mortal wound. It was such a wound that Saul couldn't escape. He was dying. The Philistine arrows pierced his body. His sons lay dead beside him. It's a pathetic sight. At that moment, he tells his armor bearer, draw your sword and finish me off. Why? One scholar put it this way. Saul does not want to suffer the final indignity of having the hated Philistines make sport of his body or mock him in death, just like they tried to do Samson, you remember? It's interesting. He's very concerned about his image with the enemy, but shows little concern for his relationship with God, whom he's about to meet. You never hear Saul praying out to God, crying out to God. He's telling the, his armor bearer to kill him. When I think about the last days of a man rejected by God, I heard Tommy Nelson share this one time. He was talking about Stalin, the leader of Russia who killed over 20 million people. And this is what he said. He's been to Russia. I've never been there. He said, especially in the 80s and 90s, whenever he went, he said, the men are passive in Russia and the women are assertive. And he said, here's the reason why. He said, Stalin killed all the assertive men. Every assertive man that he could find in Russia, whether you're a leader or a warrior, he would kill them. And he said, told the women, he taught the men not to be passive. He taught the men to be passive and not to speak out. That way he could, could have control over the men. And his name means man of steel. And, the Bible, and scholars say he cursed all those around him, blame him and accuse him. But his daughter said this on his when he was on his deathbed. She said whenever she approached him, his eyes were fixed on something in horror that approached. She said he saw something that no one else saw. 
Then he raised his fist and shook it. Then the spirit was wrenched from his body, and he was gone. And she said, that was a picture of my dad dying lost in her mind. Everything around Saul dies. His boys, his armor bearer, his army, his whole army, and his nation is dying. Saul is dying lost. Contrast that with Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. If you'll notice the verse on the screen, the Bible says this. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. How you die matters. How you die will show where you place your faith. One scholar put it this way. These men listed in Hebrews 11 lived hard lives. Isaac was almost killed by his father. Jacob served for 14 years for a wife while being hunted to be killed by his brother. And Joseph, we know, went to jail for being faithful after being sold by his brothers into slavery. And he goes on to say this. These men were faithful throughout their lives, yet the writer of Hebrews tells us that it was in their death that they truly made them stand out. Contrast the difference between a saved man dying and a lost man dying. Saul died a lost man's death. The second thing we need to understand is this. Saul reaped what, is sowed, what he sowed. Notice the verse on the screen. How horrific is this? His body and his memory is desecrated. Proverbs 10, 7 says this. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Men, I'll tell you this. If you're a bad dad, nobody goes to your graveside. Nobody. They may come to your funeral, but they won't go to your graveside. They will not. Saul dies a lost man's death, and now he's reaping what he sowed. One, I like how one scholar put it about this verse. It says this, Now it was not the headless bodies of Saul and his sons, deserted by all, swung in the wind on the walls of Bethshan amid the hoarse music of vultures and jackals. If you look at verse 4 of, of verse, or chapter 31, that's why Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust, thrust me through, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. And that's what they do. Sadly, that was the way it was back in those days. And notice what they do here. We're going to look at three things. Notice his head. He was beheaded. And his head was sent from city to city as a grotesque symbol of Philistine victory. Look at verse 9. The Bible says this. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. They were spreading their gospel. Sad. With, with Saul's head, this was their trophy. They mock Israel's military. They mock their God. They mock their hope. They mock their decision to place their faith in God. What they're saying is this. Here is your hope. Well, here is your head. Ultimately, they put his head in the temple of Dagon. As a matter of fact, First Chronicles 10 says this. They put his armor in the temple of their gods and hung up his head in the temple of Dagon, mocking God. The same thing happened when Israel was led into captivity to Babylon. Listen to what the psalmist says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested myrrh, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're making fun of them. And that's what the Philistines are doing. They're making fun of Israel's God. Dagon was the principal deity of the Philistines. He was a god of fertility and crops. And what they're saying is, our God is better than your God. Notice what they do with the armor. 
The Bible says, and they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim at the temple of their gods among the people. And they put his armor in the temple of the Asherahs. The Asherah was a god of the Philistines as well. It was a, the a female god that they worshiped. They, under every green tree, what they would do in the, in, in the land of the Philistines is they would have temple prostitutes. They would practice fornication. And, and, and they would go to their God for blessing on agriculture. This is why in Judges, God had rats eat their harvest. What he was saying is your God is dead. Because of Israel's incomplete conquest of the land of Canaan, Asherah worship survived and plagued Israel starting as soon as Joshua was dead. One scholar put it this way, Asherah was, was represented by a limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. The trunk was usually carved into a symbolic representation of the goddess because of the association with carved trees, the places of Asherah worship were commonly called groves. If you read that in the Old Testament, that's what it's talking about. The Hebrew word Asherah could refer to either the goddess or a grove of trees. One of King Manasseh's evil deeds was that he took carved Asherah pole, a carved Asherah pole that he made, and put it in the temple. In 1 Kings, the Bible says this about Solomon. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped the Asherah. And basically what they're saying, when they take the armor of Saul and put it into the temple of the Asherah, what they're saying is this, our God is greater than your God. Then they take his body and they take it to Beth Shan. Scholars will tell us about this place. Beth Shan was an important walled city in the junction of the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of the Jordan River. It was the easternmost of the old Canaanite cities that Israel had failed to capture. Excavations at Beth Shan have discovered the intact remains of a temple that was probably used for the worship of the Philistine gods, such as Dagon and Asherah, and many people think it was this very temple. And Chuck Swindoll says this, it's interesting that if you do a little geographical study, you'll find that Beth Shan was really not that far from where Saul was inaugurated. He goes on to say this, isn't that something? His entire 40 years, full decades as a king, and he made little headway territorially in the nation of Israel. He wound up only a few miles from where he started. His body hung silhouetted against a moonlight night, a short ride on horseback. From where in his heyday the trumpets blasted and he was announced king of Israel. It's a tragic realization, but given his choices, we should not be surprised. So Saul died a lost man's death. Saul reaped what he sowed. But you've got to understand this. This was Saul's problem. Saul was religious but lost. Notice these two things about Saul and his religion. Saul placed his trust in religion. Sounds like Alexander County to me. Saul kept up good religious practices without ever knowing God. He did a lot of good things. He got all the wizards, the witches out of the land. He fought against the Philistines. He would cry at times. He, he, he would kind of look to God at times when he was in a jam. But there are two things that Saul was missing in his life. The first one is this. He never placed his trust in God. He never placed his trust in God. He was never convinced that God was trustworthy. If you, if you notice in 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14, which is a parallel book to, to 1 Samuel, the Bible says this, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness in which he committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, God killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Saul never trusted God, or God enough to follow him completely. In Psalm 25, when we started this study on David, we looked at one of the last points about David is this. In Psalm 25, David says this, Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, O my soul. And I, I, I made the statement, can you trust God in your soul? Do you truly trust God where it counts the most? 
If you talk to Saul back in those days, you'd probably say he trusted in the Lord. But Saul never really trusted in the Lord. And Saul never found his satisfaction in God. God was never enough for Saul. And I'll tell you this, religion never satisfies. It never satisfies. It's possible to be very active in church of God, in the church of God, and not really know God at all. According to the Bible, being religiously active has little bearing on whether or not you actually know God. In fact, sometimes it's harder for religious people to really find God than it is for non-religious people. The second thing is this. Saul trusted in the religion, but Saul never really repented. Notice this phrase on the screen. A repentance that would not change you in life won't save you in death either. Have you ever repented? A, A repentance that will not change you in life will not save you in death either. Be careful about waiting for a crisis or a deathbed moment to seek God because most studies show that most of those things aren't real anyway. What a tragedy. Saul's problem was not the Philistines. Saul's problem was not Goliath. Saul's problem was Saul. You know, your biggest problem is that person you look at every morning in the mirror. My biggest problem is me. It's real easy to blame everybody else. Saul always blamed other people but never took responsibility for his own soul. The sign of of, of non-repentance is unchanged behavior. One pastor in North Carolina said this, Real repentance is not shown in an emotional catharsis, but in a changed life. Your mouth says you believe in Jesus, but what does your life show? The card in front of your Bible says you believe in Jesus, but what does your life show? You say you've been baptized, but what does your life show? The most sure way to see whether you've repented is to look at your life. Where there's no change, there's no Jesus. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he'd always tell them, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And then he said this in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So in Saul's life, he didn't have godly grief. He had worldly grief. And this is what I see often in Alexander County, okay, because I counsel so many people over the years. I'll have a man who'll come to me, and he'll want, to, he'll want me to counsel him. Preacher, I think I need to get saved. Okay, that's great. What's going on in your life? Well, I cheated on my wife. Okay, do you really want to be saved? <laughs> the man will say, yes, I don't think I've ever been born again. And he'll go through all these motions. He'll go back to his church, and he'll get baptized. And then guess what happened in a year? cheated on her again. Oh, preacher, I think I need to get saved. I said, no, you need to repent. You need to repent. You do this over and over and over again. You come talk to the preacher. You don't want to repent. You have worldly grief. That's what Saul had. There's no repentance in that. You just want somebody to feel sorry for you. Saul constantly over and over again had worldly grief. He never had godly sorrow. I'm amazed, especially when I was a youth pastor. And I've worked in evangelism in Alexander County, and I've been part of Greg Laurie Crusades and all those things. That whenever they give the invitation, okay, we're talking about godly grief. People will come down to a counselor, they're texting, they're chewing gum, they're laughing, they're high-fiving, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? This is just a thing for you. Where's the godly grief? That you realize you're a sinner and that you deserve hell and that without God's grace in your life, you'll bear his wrath for eternity. Paul, let me read this again. Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 7, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And think about this. 
Saul didn't say, notice what he didn't say in his final moments. He didn't call out to God. He didn't repent. He didn't reconcile. He faced death as he faced life with his eyes desperately fixed on his circumstances and himself. Saul died a lost man's death. He reaped what he sowed. Saul trusted in religion but never repented. And then finally, Saul had a moving funeral but was rejected by God. Notice verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. That's an amazing thing that they just did. Scholars will say this is one of the most uh, patriotic, probably one of the most courageous things that has been done in the Old Testament. You've got to understand, Jabesh-Gilead, these, these were, they were Jews, but they were not Jewish all-stars. They always got the bad end of the deal. They were kind of off to themselves. They were kind of left alone. That's why uh, in 1 Samuel 11, the Ammonite king comes and he says, I'm going I'm I'm to overtake your whole town. And they come out and they say, we're not big enough to fight you. Let us send word to Saul and see if he'll help us. And then uh, they say, if he don't, then we'll give, give ourselves up. And then the Ammonite king says, what I'm going to do is cut out the right eye of every person here. And they said, so be it. Thankfully, Saul comes to the rescue in 1 Samuel 11. He raised over, I think, 300,000 men, and they just slaughtered the Ammonites. Then 40 years later, when the Ammonites hear what happened to Saul, even though Saul was a terrible king, they said, we're going to take his body. They go at night, all right, in the Bethshan, and they take the bones of Saul and hit their bodies were so desecrated that they had to burn them. That's how bad the Philistines had mocked Saul and his boys. But these men, all right, go in the middle of the night and, and, and make this stealth move to go in while the Philistines were sleeping and take their bodies and march 20 miles. And they bury them under a tamarisk tree. You know what a tamarisk tree is? It's a sign of blessing. That's why David named his daughter Tamar. That's why when Abraham wanted to show his favor to God, he would plant a tamarisk tree. And these men, in, in doing what the best they could, they said, we're going to take Saul's bones and bury them underneath this tamarisk tree. And I say that to say this. This was kind of like Saul's funeral. And if, if an outsider would have saw this, they would say, what a man. He's got to be a man of God. And I'll tell you this. You can have the VA or the military you serve Fold a flag at your funeral, which is beautiful, by the way. It didn't change your eternal destiny at all. You can have the best singing that Alexander County's ever had. That does not change your eternal destiny at all. I remember going one time to another county. I didn't even know the man, but I'd heard about him. I'd heard he was a wicked person. He hated God and everybody else. But boy, what a service he had. I mean, that flag ceremony, the way they carried his coffin from in the rain... From that, from that hearse, walking through all these, it was amazing. And then they would take his body and they would do that. And I remember the preacher, oh man, what a sermon. What a sermon. They read off his military credentials. But unless he repented in the last wee moments, which he probably didn't, that great soldier's in hell right now. I'm amazed when I go to funerals in Alexander County, everybody goes to heaven, right? But that's not true. Listen, he had a moving funeral service, but Saul died lost. I wonder how many Sauls are in this room today. I wonder how many. Have you ever repented and placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Since the time that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, how has your life changed? 
How is God, if, how can the God of the universe live inside of you and there be no change at all? The Bible says if any man is, is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, they do pass away. It takes time. Behold, all things become new. If you are who you were, you ain't, is what the, what the Bible would tell us. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus today? The tragedy, the tragedy of dying loss. I'm going to ask your musicians to come. And as they come, I would tell you this. Paul Washer made this statement. There are two possible destinies for all men, one of bliss and another of terror. The determining factor between them is our response to Jesus. And listen to this. Hell is so bad that Jesus said of Jesus, it would have been better had he not been born. And church, a great judgment awaits everyone. The Bible warns it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Paul's made this statement. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God's judgment is promised on all unrepentant sinners, and its end is coming swiftly. But Jesus offers salvation. Jesus made this statement, Truly, truly, I say to you, that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Saul today is serving condemnation in hell while David dwells above in the glories of heaven. This is the decisive issue of every life. Will we repent and be saved, or will we harden our hearts against God and perish? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ alone for salvation? Today is the day of salvation. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I wonder how many will die a lost person's death in this service today. You don't have to. Call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. Trust in Christ today and be saved. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Place your faith in Christ today. Christian, do you need to repent? You will reap what you sow. We all do. Whether good or bad, repent today. You're not here by accident. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I want to thank you that Saul, as evil as he was, almost in every chapter we read after he becomes king, you give him a tremendous opportunity to repent. That just shows your grace and your mercy. You desire all to repent. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who is lost, that today, Lord, they would repent and place their faith and trust in you. Truly be born again for your honor and for your glory. I pray that no one dies a lost person's death in this auditorium today or watching online. Father, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. We're going to close the service. Sharon's going to lead us in a song, and then you'll be dismissed. Thank you.